Welcome in, everybody. We're back, baby. It's the You Like That Feels Great Baby podcast. Back for, uh, I guess you can call this the first episode of a new season of NFL football. Uh, We already recapped free agency earlier uh, in the offseason, but this is when the new season starts. A lot of new players joining the league. We're going to recap the 2023 NFL draft that just went down on Thursday. Uh, Joey and I are here. We're going to discuss everything. Obviously, the Vikings and Niners did, but we got to start at the top of the draft. Um, you know, you and I had a lot of thoughts on these quarterbacks when we last discussed, you know, who we thought might be going where in March. Things changed a lot. Uh, a lot of smoke screens thrown by a lot of teams up there at the top of the draft to hide their true intentions. Um, but we got to start at the top. Uh, the big trade uh, between the Bears and the Panthers that netted them the number one overall pick. Uh, all of that capital, uh, including DJ Moore and countless picks all goes to the bears in exchange for what ends up being Alabama QB Bryce Young. Um, Joey, we got to start there. What are are your thoughts about the diminutive Bryce Young going at the top of the draft this year? Yeah, just in general, a pretty, I would say average, maybe below average quarterback class. Um, Really, Really one guy. I mean, if Bryce Young was three or four inches taller, he'd he'd be a much better prospect. But the reality is, is he's not. I, I'm just so more convicted than ever that if you don't have like one of the, if he's not, if you don't project him to be like a top five guy, which there's so many good ones now, like that's pretty difficult. Like you're much better taking, you know, honestly trading down. I like I like what Chicago did way more than Carolina drafting Bryce Young. Um, they keep saying like, oh, he's like, he's got Mahomes in the pocket. I'm like Mahomes is like a sneaky six, four, like he's not small. And Bryce Young, boy, I just, ooh, I, I, I like he that looks like he's going to break. He looks like he's going to physically just be mashed. You, said you should not be taking a quarterback number one. If you don't think at some point he can be a top five guy. So you would say the top five right now is Mahomes, Burrow, Josh Allen, you know, who else cracks that list? Herbert and, you put know. Trevor Lawrence, maybe. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence, whoever's in there. If you think... And there's a lot of guys who could play. I mean, Rodgers is still... I mean, I'm, I don't think he looks pretty... It didn't look great last year, but I mean... Like, if you just think about it for like five seconds, like, do, do you really think Bryce Young's going to be in that group? No. Maybe top ten? Maybe. If, if you know, everything, if everything goes really breaks. well? Yep. Maybe. So it's like... But then again, just in general, the draft wasn't like a – there also wasn't like a, you know, Miles Garrett, you know, one of the Bosa brothers or like – there wasn't – I mean, Will Anderson, like he – I know like before the college season he had some pretty big hype on him. But, yeah, I, I mean, overall pretty – just what I read, pretty down class. But, yeah, I mean, the quarterbacks are everything, and, and they went with one. And you know, I think we said this last time, I would have gone with Anthony Richardson if I, if I had to take one guy. Because I think if he does hit, he could be one of those guys. If he does hit, but he could he can't hit water right now. If he fell out of a boat, that's his only that's his only negative. Everything else is a plus plus arm plus plus you know athleticism. Seems like great guy. No, you know smart like all this stuff. But like, can he can he hit the receiver in stride? Don't know about about fifty five about fifty four percent of the time. Yeah, it's like okay, hmm. But so that was, I think, one of the biggest talking points going into the draft was how high would 
um, Anthony Richardson go and how high would Will Levis go and how high would C.J. Stroud go because it seemed like in the about week and a half prior to the draft everybody had figured out it would be Bryce Young 100% uh, at the top of the draft. I listened to a lot of podcasts that suggested Will Levis would go number two and they were right. He did go number two in the second round. Like an enormous slide for Levis. Um, we can get the, to that in a minute. Who actually went second, and this was a big surprise to me because there really wasn't much chatter of um, C.J. Stroud going to Houston and being their franchise quarterback. I was really surprised when that news came down. I thought that they were going to go probably Will Anderson, which they ended up doing by trading back up to the third pick to take him as well. But I thought D'Amico Ryan's defensive coach probably would want to find like a quarterback in the second round or later in the first and have you know the team's identity be the best defensive player in the draft turns out they get both what do you think of the cj stroud fit there in houston i don't love it i i mean ohio state quarterbacks have not done done well in the nfl unless you want to count a quick snippet of joe burrow being at ohio state but we're not (laughs) um no i i i i Again, if he's already like again, it goes back to the math. It's it's all about it becomes a math equation. Is mm-hmm. CJ Stroud the second best guy in this draft? What so what is he like relative like to the whole league taking it with that pick? If he's second in this own pretty average class, where is he like I mean against the second overall pick, you have to hit these picks or else you're going to be keep picking there. Yeah. And and uh I thought that to jump even further, I thought the jump from what was it like 12 to 3 like yeah. they gave him even more and it's like you are not I mean maybe CJ Stroud and Will Anderson turns out to be you know the QB and pass rusher of the future but they gave up a lot and they're nowhere close to the playoffs and mm-hmm. to give up extra picks but CJ Stroud himself I mean he didn't he did himself really well in the college football playoff I mean that was basically the title game I mean right. Ohio State and Georgia and, and you know if they make that kick you know he's probably winning a national championship, and and uh, he is bigger. I mean he's bigger than Bryce Young, but he doesn't. And the other thing too, he's throwing to Hall of Fame receivers. It feels like I the, the, their third receivers, I, the the guy Todd who's not McShay. even eligible is getting going like number one next year. It's like, well, what happens when he's thrown to me? Yeah. Like Todd McShay said during the broadcast, he said the clat the twenty twenty two wide receiver group at Ohio State is the best position unit ever in college football. He said. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., Jackson Smith, and Jigba, and the two other guys who were slightly below them in projection. He says two of them will be all pros, and at least one of the other two will be a pro bowler. And so he's basically playing with possible Hall of Fame NFL players at the college level. So very hard to judge Because even him. to get the hype last year, you played with Olave and Garrett Wilson. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's every year. Yeah. Just... Yeah, the Ohio State wide receiver factory. It's pretty incredible. Um, so I, yeah, I wanted to say that I strongly disagree with the Stroud pick there. Um, My point is like I don't like him, but I just like I wouldn't. I would, I don't know if I would have taken any of them. It's just the value is just again we keep talking about it like it's just not there. Like right. So I'd much rather two, take like Jake Hayner. There's two schools of thought here that I heard. You know, different analysts go in different directions. One is you just look at the on-field performance and nothing else. You don't look at measurables and, you know, 
uh, cognitive and intelligence tests. You don't look at you know how they perform in the interview with the head coaches, how they study. You just look at the tape, and the tape shows Bryce Young is the best, you know, probably best college football player in America, and number two behind him was probably C.J. Stroud. If you watched them play last year, as good as it possibly can get, but you have to remember that they're the anchor of an all-star team. Basically, every one of the players that's blocking for them and catching passes for them is going to the NFL, too. So you have to weight that against it. But then on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, you have like Levis and Richardson, who were not good. Like you look at the film and you're like, so not good, like so tremendously average at the college level. However, all the measurable stuff, you're like, holy crap, like he has Josh Allen's arm. He has the escapability of a young Russell Wilson. Like, holy shit, this guy is special granted the stats and the tape show that he's got a lot of flaws so I think that dichotomy ended up working out in a very strange way where the guys who put the best tape out there went one and two and then Richardson obviously you know going four to the Colts that's big for them but Levis clearly the teams saw what they saw in the film and said this guy is not worth a first round pick I mean he plummeted so let's pivot now to Let's discuss Richardson and Levis at this point. Richardson, a lot of people thought he would either you know go one or two or he would slide. Well, Indianapolis, who ran smoke screens all offseason long saying they weren't going to take him, they took him, and he's now the guy in Indianapolis. He may you know play behind Minshew for one year, but what do you think of the Richardson fit in Indy in a not-so-great division? I mean, I again, I would have taken if, – if I was running a team, I would have taken him first overall. I – I don't love him going to the Colts just because, I mean, are they, I just have a hard time thinking he's going to just play behind Minshew. I think, especially with Ursay, I feel like they're going to get a little antsy. Like, if Minshew struggles at all, they're going to, let's throw this kid in there. And it's going to yeah. be like, okay, the, the, pro, the projection, you know, draft guys were saying he needs at least a year, if not two. Like, you know, I, I just, I, I don't love it, but. No, I mean it, it again. He's if he hits, it's one of those. It's it's a it's a five hundred foot grand slam, if he hits. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think he could be. <laughs> it, it depends if you think accuracy is teachable or not. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Which, it is. I always was on the complete other end of the spectrum, where like give me a Chad Pennington who has a noodle arm, but it's always on the money, versus a guy who throws deep bombs but can't hit the broadside of a barn. I was always on that side of the equation but then Josh Allen went from a guy who you know couldn't hit a pass to by year three he was one of the three best I might in the honestly NFL, man so. I might be the other way I think I was more like give me give me Michael Vick you know give me like these just athletes at quarterback and now it's like okay well Peyton Manning couldn't move Tom Brady can't move like the ones that really win throw from the pocket it's like in baseball like you're a shortstop okay he could hit 55 home runs like can he play defense like it like just some certain <laughs> positions are more important at that and it's like well if you can run and jump out of the building that's great be a receiver or running back or something or on defense be a corner linebacker but if you're a quarterback like oh you run a four four forty and you can jump out of the building it's like okay well can you read the defense and then know where to go with the football and get it there on time in the right spot in 2.5 seconds exactly before you get crushed like yeah. you're not running a 40 like when in like i know that you see it more now like with the running guys like with Jalen and, and lamar and it was it's like 
and, and jo- Josh is, is more of an athlete, but he's more of like Cam Newton type. And but even he right. said this offseason, like I got to stop running. I'm gonna ruin my career. Like, yeah. and and he has he did struggle without Dable. I mean, he was kind of yeah. regressed a little bit. So and McDermott literally in every press conference was like, "We gotta ha- stop having Josh run this much." Like teams don't like to see it. Exactly. So that that would be a very big pro for taking, you know, a guy like Bryce Young. But then again, I mm-hmm. I prefer the guy to be at least probably six one six two, you know, or mm-hmm. bigger if, if we're hoping. But yeah, I, I I don't know. Will Levis was in <laughs> red flag as soon as I heard he puts mayonnaise in his coffee and eats the whole <laughs> banana. Yeah, that put it off the board in in uh, most drafts, but one of the biggest slides. I mean, last year it was Malik Willis, who some people thought would be a mid to late first round pick, ended up sliding to round three. Uh, Levis and they both went slides to from yeah, and they both went to Tennessee. I mean, Levis was there was a lot of chatter, and this clearly ended up being deflection by Houston that he was going to go number two to Houston. Like it seemed like the majority of like sharp betters and people in the industry were like, it's going to be Levis two to the Texans. He slips all the way into the second round, goes with the uh, 33rd pick to Tennessee. Um, he's going to compete with Tannehill. He's going to compete with uh, Malik Willis. I mean, not a good situation for him. I think teams were kind of scared off by, like you were saying, that like social media type personality, like, you know, showing yeah, he was his Mr. like. Uh, looking at me in the weight room, and I'm like, can you, like, do you study? Like, do you. Exactly. But they were saying, too, like, because Mel Kuyper loved him. Absolutely loved him. I was watching some of the draft stuff, you know, obviously the draft then before, and he, he was his number two quarterback. He was just like, you know, pound the table for him. And then he's fallen, and then, like, watching the draft, Todd McShay's, like, giving it to him. Like, oh, there's your guy, just still not drafted. <laughs> and uh, and and he admitted that the, the tape, was, like you were saying, this year was not good. It was bad. Mm-hmm. Like, turnovers galore, um, bad times. Um, and uh, the the big comp I kept hearing for him was Sam Darnold. Like you can't unteach turnovers. Well, like. I heard, I read this or I I listened to this too. He transferred to Kentucky from Penn State because he couldn't beat out Sean Clifford, who went in the fourth round or like fifth round yeah. this year. Like again, again, it becomes like math. If he couldn't beat out Sean Clifford, what makes you think he's worth or like? When, yeah, when, how's when, he going to beat out Ryan Tannehill, who's actually like been a good QB the last or five like, years? Yeah, like, and again, like I don't know. It's just it's, there's so few of them, and we keep hearing like there's just so many good quarterbacks. Like you look at the AFC, I'm like, okay, how many like actually are good, like consistently good? And I think it's a like a little. The numbers are very little. Like you're more likely to hit something else. And again, it just mm-hmm. you can't miss these picks, especially in the first round, but with him going in the second round, it's not as big of a, big of a deal. But, I, and they also said too, like his interviews were not great. Like he kind of came off yeah. like a, they said he bombed. He the came off like a guy who pick, puts uh, videos of himself working out on social media. That was the big problem was like his whole personality was like, look, I've changed my body. I have but 1% dude, body fat. His I'm entire, like, as he was falling, he's like, if I'm going to fall in this draft, this whole world is going to, is going to know that I, that I have a uh, women all around me. <laughs> they kept cutting over to him, and I was like, "Wow!" I'm like, "Do you uh, have like six sisters, or are you just like, uh, is this is this sister wives?" Yeah, what is this? Yeah, very strange. Uh, a kind of predictable drop. One of the four was definitely going to tumble. It ended but up once being you Levis. get past like 
like that one, whoever that team is, like whatever it is, 11, 12, it's like, uh, where's he going? Like yeah. no one's, <laughs> unless someone trades in. and There was a know. lot of talk of, hey, maybe Detroit takes him at 12 or Tennessee right before that, and they ended up taking him later. But after that, uh, Detroit went with that running back, Jameer Gibbs. After that, it was like Green Bay, nope. Pittsburgh, nope. Jets, nope. Commanders, if they pass on you, you are go- you are toast. They were like, no, Brissett and Sam Hartman, that'll work, or whoever the hell their quarterback is there in in Washington. It's like, oh man, it's, oh, it's Sam, Sam Howell? Howell, Sam Howell, yeah. not Hartman. Yeah, it's just like, man, big Sam Hartman. There the, for like, Levis. was he the Wake Forest kid? Yeah, and he just transferred to can't remember like Notre Dame or something. Huh, He's going to be yeah. their QB next year because everybody gets like a. 33rd year of eligibility because of COVID now. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. We're so the draft, he's on his Van Wilder year. Yeah. The the uh, the draft really started at three with the Texans trading up and getting Will Anderson, who the comp I heard was Khalil Mack, um, that he will be you know a solid uh, pro bowler year in, year out. So he goes number three. Seattle takes Devin Witherspoon. Absolutely shocking. The Seahawks take a corner, which... You know, Pete Carroll lives, eats, and breathes. I thought it was pretty telling secondary. they didn't take Jalen Carter. Yes. And then that was the two shocking things for me early like Pete in the Carroll's first round. Pete Carroll's no dummy. And, like, yeah. that is his guy. Like, we were talking about it. That is, Those are, like, his guys. And they, it's a position of need. Like, yeah. they, need, they needed help in the front seven. He's best player, you know, everyone's saying, you know, on the field. And they went with corner, which, you know, is very Seattle. I mean, I... I to lean into that whole defensive mentality, yeah, you know, Legion of Boom era. I mean, they're not more likely never will have another one of those, but still, they already had. Um, oh my God, Tariq Woolen, like who made yeah. the Pro Bowl? Like, they, I mean, they could take another one. Sure, I, they could, you know, have no the no fly zone, and <laughs> uh, um, good pick. And yeah, I, I just I thought it was shocking, Jalen Carter. Right, uh, and at Evan, you know, my brother, the biggest Seahawks fan in the world, he's like, I can't believe we took a corner, something we already have pretty elite corner play. And then, of course, they take a wide receiver later in the first round with Smith and Jigba. And he's like, we already have Metcalf and Lockett. Like, what are we doing? But the consensus is that they did They're really, really well good the players. Yeah, they got really good players at really good value. Um, the thing that kind of surprised me was seeing B. John Robinson go eight, I think a lot of people had him sliding in the draft because running back just has no value these days. But people are saying he's the best prospect since Barkley. So Atlanta takes him at eight, and that's when Philadelphia goes, oh, my God, Carter's still on the board. They make their move. They get him. The one problem that uh, the Eagles had last year was run defense, and it appears that they've solved it now with drafting Carter. So a lot of people right now, especially uh, I saw both Mel Kuyper and the guy Brooks from NFL Network saying Philadelphia and Seattle were the the clear winners of the draft with the moves they made in the first round. So um, I think I would tend to agree, especially with Philadelphia being uh, one of the winners of the draft, like to go to the Super Bowl and be very close to winning it last year to kind of dominate the NFC from start to finish and then to improve in the draft. Pretty impressive stuff from Howie there and the Eagles. Um, let's let's get to the the main event here. We'll start with the Niners. Um, Niners, due to you know various trades over the past few years, had no first and second round picks, but they basically had every one of the third round picks. So uh, Niners took a series of players there in the third round: uh, safety Jair Brown out of Penn State, uh, tight end Cameron Latou out of uh, Alabama, and then. 
the guy that's going to be your new franchise kicker, hopefully for 15 years, uh, Jake Moody out of Michigan, and then later in the draft took some some depth at DB and, and uh, the pass catching positions. What were your overall um, takes on the Niners draft? There's two that stick out, um, and I'll start with two because that actually deals with a guy we picked. And, yeah, we took a kicker in the third round. This guy better be Justin Tucker. Um I don't hate it. Like, I don't hate it as much as people, you know, like naturally want to just be like, why are you taking it? Just, I truly do believe there wasn't that many guys we could have taken that would like impact players with Mm -hmm. our roster. Like, I mean, it was going to be a backup, but the one that we could was kicker. We don't have a kicker right now. And to get a guy who, you know, yeah, if he's Justin Tucker or even the one that was kind of recent, Evan McPherson for Cincinnati went, I think, in the fourth, I want to say, mm-hmm. decently high. Um, like, those guys become a weapon. I mean, Justin Tucker would – if they he was on the trading block, like, he could get something. I mean, he's – you know, to have a reliable kicker, and, and it wasn't even yeah. making the kicks. Robbie couldn't hit the end zone, and it was impacting our special teams, like, on kickoffs. Like, yeah. if this guy can just simply boom it into the end zone – like that that would be a an upgrade and and he's yeah. cheaper. So like if he does that if he's not like Roberto Aguayo where it becomes an immediate just disaster. <laughs> like it's okay. I had a bigger problem with the the Cameron uh Latu pick, not because mm-hmm. of tight end. I thought we needed it. I I think we'd like to run more two tight end sets and and Dwelly and and uh Tyler Croft just ain't cutting it for a backup tight end and and yeah. And I thought they were gonna they could go with that, but I mean Alabama's huge brand. Obviously, all their games I feel like are on TV, and I just keep watching them. And 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 Latu's no small guy, so you see him on TV, and I'm like, I see this guy on TV, but doesn't really do much. Um, and then I read more about him. They're like, yeah, he had a pretty high drop rate. Um, so didn't love that, but I did really like the first pick, the safety Jair Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, we just simply replaced Jimmy Ward. Um, very much plays like Ufunga, um, in the sense he's not probably great in coverage, but he loves to play in the box. I think he led the, I think he led college football in sacks from a safety position. Kyle, so, Kyle Shanahan absolutely like he's, loves that. He's one of another, another positionless guy. I think he might yeah. play a little like slot corner, corner safety, might even play a little linebacker. But I think the number one thing I took away is, is I thought their number one need, especially after losing big Mike, was it just they needed big bodies, especially right tackle? Like they drafted Colton McKivitz a couple of years ago in the fifth round, and I thought the fact that they didn't take one um, was big. I know they took one um, or like some defensive line, but yeah. they took no offensive linemen, mm-hmm. none. And I thought that was if you're Colton McKivitz's family or got some stock in him, maybe some stock in Jalen Moore. That was big. I mean, that they must really believe in those guys because they, I mean, to not take anybody like mm-hmm. you must have a, a plan. And, uh, and I, I thought that was the biggest thing. Just interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they decided secondary and tight end were a much bigger priority than trying to improve the right side of the line. So clearly they must think what they have in house is good enough for next year. I mean, obviously with, you know, the money that they have to give to Bosa and a lot of these guys. There was a tough decision to be made somewhere, but it looks like they're trusting, as the Niners do, and seemingly year in, year out, they trust their ability to scout and develop these later-round guys. Uh, on Same the thing the year before. I was, I was thinking, like, they drafted Aaron Banks in the second round and then didn't play 
his like whole first year because they had Lincoln Tomlinson and then Lincoln Tomlinson gets a big deal with the Jets and they're like, okay, this guy will come in. And we're like, well, we all thought he sucked because you took him in the second round and then didn't play him. So then he comes in and, and starts every game and it's fine. So, um, but yeah, it was, they took, they ended up taking two tight ends and two linebackers. Where, where's this linebacker going to play special teams? Like, with uh with with Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw, I'm like this guy's gonna see the field, like to not take yeah, a lineman. They'll, was... they'll play behind him for at least one or two seasons, you know for sure. I think it's more about depth, and I mean the good teams seem to do that. Like they'll get a guy in the draft, and if he's not an impact guy on day one, for whatever reason, in year two or year three, they kind of take off. And I feel like that's what separates the Niners from some of the other teams in the NFC. Is you know they're not draft like. As much as I love the fact that the Vikings have had basically all of their core of great players over the last 10, 15 years come through the draft rather than trade, for every one of those guys, there's five guys who we draft in the fourth round and then cut the next season. There's a Kellen Mond who we draft in the second round and then cut after a season and a half. Like We have a lot of those stories, and it seems like the Niners always have these guys that they get them into the program and they make them a finished product within a couple of years. So um, I'm sure some of these guys that it looks pretty nondescript right now, a bunch of third, fourth, and fifth, and seventh round picks for the Niners this year, two or three of those guys are going to be impact guys in year two. So uh, I expect to see that from from a John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan team. Um, pivoting over to the Vikings, we came into the draft with only five picks, a first, a third, a uh, fourth, a fifth, and then a couple sevenths, and it was like, Man, not a lot of ammo to work with, but through a few trades, including with your Niners, we we ended up making seven selections, um, starting with Jordan Addison out of USC. He immediately slots in at wide receiver two. Um, from what I saw from the scouts, um, and I did watch him play a bit at USC last year, he's one of those guys who runs precise routes, who doesn't drop the ball, maybe struggles a little bit with separation because it doesn't have super top end speed, but... This is, you know, the dream situation for this guy because he's going to a team where he is going to face the second and third best corner on every single route because the best corner is going to shadow Jefferson the whole game. So especially with Osborne being a good number three wide receiver, like an elite number three wide receiver, all of a sudden, you know, the loss of Thielen really doesn't mean much if Addison is even, you know, comparable to what Thielen was at age 33. So I like the pick. My problem with it, you know, despite it being one that continues to help our offense be more dynamic, is we didn't take a corner, which we don't need a corner. We need like four corners. Like we have Byron Murphy and then a whole lot of crap after that. Like the plan apparently is for like guys like Duke Shelley or whoever to fill. Um, it's not good. Like we took uh, Makai Becton out of, also out of USC in the third round. And from what I heard from the scouts, is like everything I read. He can he can cover. He just doesn't have the top end speed to stay with you know these elite receivers. And now that DJ Moore is in uh, you know our division and Detroit's got a bunch of guys, I'm like, man, that it smells like it could be a problem. Um, the only interesting picks outside of those two who I think will probably have an impact in year one. I think um, you know Addison will start as the wide receiver two on week one, and then. Um, Blackman probably will be cornerback three or four to start the year. They'll probably have a veteran start opposite Murphy, at least at the beginning, and then see if they can phase him in, see if he's a good enough player. Um, we drafted a safety at LSU, Jay Ward, who apparently is kind of like what you guys got in uh, Jair Brown, where he's a thumper and not 
not a tremendous cover safety. And I'm like, okay, great. You know, another Harrison Smith type who is going to get torched over the middle and, you know, he'll make his hits here and there. He'll be incredible in run defense, but going to struggle with the deep ball. So uh, not a huge fan of, of the, the two picks we made in the middle rounds there, but we did accrue enough picks from trades with the Niners and uh, I believe Cincinnati where we were able to make some late round selections, including um, Jaron Hall out of BYU, uh, definitely a project QB with like incredible athleticism, but they didn't even let him throw the ball much at BYU last year. So we'll see if he's you know going to be a guy in two or three years, but obviously he'll play behind Mullins. He'll play behind Cousins for this year and probably next. So uh, relatively nondescript draft for the Vikings, unless Jordan Addison, you know, breaks out and becomes, you know, the Chris Carter to uh, Randy Mo- to Jeff- Justin Jefferson's Randy Moss. Like if they're both Hall of Famers, then okay, maybe this is a bonanza for the Vikings. But otherwise, decent draft. You know, did what we could with only having five picks, and uh, you know, looking at training camp, looking at the preseason, we got to find corners, man. Every team says it, but. The, because that's pretty much where they took just Justin Jefferson, right? Was he twenty one? Right after, yeah, right after Jalen Rager. <laughs> so he was twenty first. Yeah, I mean early twenties. Yeah. yeah, I thought, I thought they were gonna take because you said corner. I was thinking the same. I mean, I Jordan, I I like Jordan Addison. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I just you're gonna say Deontay you know, we heard, Banks. Yeah, I he yeah. goes right after, and I yeah. I mean. Yeah, I just minute your the your guys problem wasn't scoring, no. and uh, I just I don't know is it simply like okay boom like we don't have to worry about losing Adam Thielen like you said here we go it's uh, yeah. but like you said KJ Osborne's I mean who's to say he's not a two right I don't like you know it's Deontay Banks and then you know Dallas takes the Michigan D tackle and then mm-hmm. I think both of Clemson's guys go the. Mm-hmm. Murphy and whoever that other and guy Breesy. was. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I just, I thought, I was like, if anything, I was like, okay, Minnesota's taking a somebody on defense, and then they're like, Jordan yeah. Addison, I'm like, I mean, okay. I, yeah. The the thought, I guess, and especially after hearing our GM, Kwesi Adolfo Mensa's press conference after the draft, I was like, the thought is a lot of, like, Flores guys are coming into the locker room, whether they're, you know, cheap free agent deals, undrafted free agents, guys that Flores likes that he thinks he can coach up. I'm like, what a monumental task for him to take this group of defenders and, you know, a lot of the best players on this team, even though Kendricks was not good last year. He is two years removed from being a first-team All-Pro. You lose him. You know, you lose... A lot of players on that defense who contributed big time last year, and you're expected to, you know, improve massively under Flores. It's a huge task. It's an absolutely gigantic task. They're basically going to ask Byron Murphy to be prime Richard Sherman if this defense is going to work at all. So, um, really shocked that we didn't take a corner until the third round. That we went offense in the first round. But all in all, I'll take it. I just got to see Addison play at, you know, a little bit above, you know late season Thielen level like Thielen at this point is a guy who's going to get you you know seven to nine hundred yards and five or six touchdowns he's getting long in the tooth we need to see a little bit more than that from from uh, Addison for that pick to be worth it but overall I give the Vikings draft 
C plus, I guess. And then Niners, what you what would you give them as your grade? C plus, B minus, something like that. Yeah, yeah, just average. I, I just, I nothing. I don't think it's bad. It, it's weird. It's, it's weird to grade them without a first or second. I, I just don't. Yeah. I don't, um. Definitely yeah. challenging. Like a lot of these teams, you can clearly give them an A or a D or an F or whatever, just based upon they had these early round picks and they screwed them up. Like you wanted to. Let's pivot to Joey's Jack and the Bum of the Week right here because I think there is a direction you wanted to go with this based on a multiple of this team's picks. So here's some candidates for Joey's Jack and the Bum of the Week on my end. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a lot of stuff that came out about uh, Jonathan Gannon, the new coach of the Cardinals. Um, he was asked a few questions in like the pre-draft press conference about like, you know, what was it like getting all that criticism about how the Eagles played in the Super Bowl? And he was like, you know, our, my team was the best sack team every week of the year. We were, he just starts spouting off all these stats and the reporter like fact checked all of them. And like every one of them was wrong. And I just saw this tweet storm of like everybody being like, the Cardinals have hired the worst possible candidate to be their head coach. Like a guy who just, anytime he faces I any criticism, loses his mind. So that was just a, this was like, well, his Wednesday own team kind of threw him under the bus. Not, uh, not Arizona, but Philly. Yes. Like I, I don't know who it was. I think it was CJ Gardner Johnson, but there was like a tweet or something from like ESPN or somebody like, um, right after the Super Bowl or that week after that said something like, oh, man, Philly, like, you know, so close but just couldn't come over and, like, got dominated in the second half or something. That was, like, the premise of, like, the article or, or like, if it was a – if it was their, like, you know, Orlovsky or Marcus Spear, whoever it is, like, talking about it, like a video. And the C.J. Garner – I think it was him. Um, Like, retweets it and says, like, just – coaches just don't put us – didn't put us in position to win. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, that was Bladen. I, I could be, I could have the name mixed up or whatever, or the dates, but that's essentially what happened. One of the defensive players like retweeted something and said, like, coaches yeah. didn't put us in position. And I'm like, um, that's not that talking about Sirianni. That's talking about yeah, exactly, John, yeah. exactly. I, yeah. And, so, uh, but it, I, it, I, it, it, I'm not defending Gannon, but I'm like, absolutely no one on, on earth wanted that job. So. Yeah. I'm not surprised whoever the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals was wasn't a tire fire because yeah. anyone with half a brain wasn't taking that job. Yeah. I think a Sneaky lot of people might actually... be the worst organization in football. Who yes. knows after the commanders sell? Yeah. After, after that, it, I mean, it's gotta be the Cardinals. They, the, that survey that came out, basically all the players hate playing for that owner. They hate playing for the, the management there. And then they, they appear to have, completely botched the coaching hire so tough situation for the Cardinals even though some people seem to think they had a really good draft it's just a bad long-term situation there um, obviously the Ravens and Lamar are always a fixture on Jack and the Bum of the Week they finally came to an agreement that seems to have placated everybody but it just kind of ends in a situation where it seems like Lamar didn't exactly get what he wanted the Ravens didn't exactly get what they want and now they just got to try to make this marriage work odd. for another five years it's very odd like I just I saw saga. the deal and I texted you I'm like what was the holdup because he didn't get the guaranteed money that you know it was reported that he sought after maybe he didn't mm-hmm. but like the Ravens I mean like you think you're in a bind when you have to go to Tyler Huntley when Lamar Jackson's making 
you know, his fifth year option money or whatever. <laughs> like imagine how you're going to feel when he's making 52 million a year or 53, yeah, he whatever misses it is. Seven games. It's going to be, I mean, and again, Lamar- it happen- I'm, to be fair to him, it happens to other quarterbacks. You know, I, all the injuries are not because, you know, he seems like he's injury prone or whatever. Again, I'll even argue. It seems like he gets sick more often than other mm-hmm. quarterbacks. Like it's, it's just, again, like not to be, you know, to hate on the guy. I don't, but like, like when are you available when they mm-hmm. need you like the $53 million, you better be there on Sunday. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, just kind of quit on him last year. Kind of a wild situation. I did not expect it to culminate in, you know, just a hunky dory five year, $250 million with 180 million guaranteed. Hey, he got almost what he wanted and the Ravens capitulated and nobody gave up two first round picks to try to get him. So, Kind of a crazy situation that just culminates with the status quo. So the Ravens are where they were last year and two really, years before. Really quick sign. It just made me think of like, you know, different sport. But the Clippers, like with Kawhi Leonard, like you imagine if you're Steve Ballmer and you pay all that and you make all that. It's like this guy's never here. I don't care what the reason is. He's never here. It's just in that playoff series against the. And I know this because I bet the Clippers to win the series at like. Plus 450, I was like, oh, they got a shot here. They come out and dominate game one. Westbrook is awesome. Kawhi Leonard's awesome. I'm like, got this series in the bag. <laughs> then all of a sudden, he's hurt, misses the other four games of the series. They lose all four, season over. And if you're the Clippers, you're like, why are we paying this guy? He has one elite game for us and then immediately misses the rest of the Because it's all they do the summer. Again, I'm going to talk about the NBA more than we should, but... Like, like they, they sign him, they trade him, like, oh, Kawhi and Paul George, like, four years, what was this, four or five years ago already, or three, four, mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, they won the, Kawhi won it with Toronto in 19, so four. Four years. It's like, all right, we're going to, like, how many games did they play together? Like, <laughs> playoff P, pandemic P, when he was hitting the side of the backboard, was that fun? Like, Steve Ballmer paid, like, whatever he paid, $2 billion for the second team in L.A. and is paying all these guys, and, and it's like, and what am I getting? Hundred and ten year old LeBron is going further in the playoffs than that. It's like, what am I getting with my ROI? Whatever. Anyways, back to Lamar. I just, I just was like, so is this, does this resolve everything or what? Because, yeah, I just, I don't know. That's why they're a candidate for Jack and the Bum of the Week for the draft. It's just like that story dropped right before the draft. Everybody was like, eh, I guess everybody's happy now. Curious to see how that ends up. And then my final candidate was the Bucks and Falcons are just content to just ride it out with absolutely shit-tastic quarterback situations. No need for them to take a quarterback. You know, the Bucks are just going to roll with Mayfield. The Falcons are just going to roll with Desmond Ritter. Is that what we're doing? Apparently so. Like, I, think I expected them I to think make Atlanta moves. I think Atlanta will be at least decently competitive. I think Tampa Bay is going to suck. Mm-hmm. I think Tampa – I mean, any of those guys, we talk about the quarterbacks this year. Next year, I mean, they're already talking about Caleb Williams and Drake May. Yeah. Um. So – that might be what they're doing. That may be the thought process there, but I just think if you're, you know, trying the bu- to sell the season tickets, the Bucks are tickets, trying to sink the ship. They're trying to tank the ship. <laughs> Fire! You're the trying cannons. to sell nope. season tickets. You're trying to get people fired up for a new era, and your faces are Ritter and Mayfield. I'm, you know, the NFC South looks like craptastic right now, but um, there's a clear winner in your uh, race for the Jack and the Bum of the Week NFL Draft Edition. Yeah, again, a lot of good candidates, um, but this. For, for a couple of reasons, we we are going to go with the Jack and the Bum of the draft. Jack and the Bum of the week, the Carolina Panthers. The Carolina Panthers traded a star receiver 
flopped first round picks, an extra second, an extra one next year, and I want to say you got it right here, another third. Yeah. Yeah, to take Bryce Young, and I just again being an Iron fan, we saw it a couple years ago. Trey Lance era, that was cool. Um, we finally paid that off this year. We'll have a first round next year. But it just it puts so much pressure on the kid. I, I don't get it. I just you could have been okay taking a, taking somebody at nine. Mm-hmm. I just you're not the the Niners took a swing for the fence because they they were you know they they were they were they were there. I mean Carolina's nowhere. Mm-hmm. The, the Niners had the roster to do it. Mm-hmm. And I mean honestly, it 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 deserves some type of recognition because they royally blew that trade and have still managed to more than stay afloat. Um, but, you know, looking at that trade objectively, it was a disaster. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could have sat there and not traded their future first and taken, oh, I don't know. I mean, Pat Sertan was around there. And Matt, uh, Micah Parsons was around that area. I, maybe you trade like a third or something to move up a couple. I don't like you could have taken just people keep saying, imagine if Trey Lance hit. And I'm like, imagine if the Niners didn't trade those first and just took a really stud player. Imagine yeah. Micah Parsons on the other side of Nick Bosa. I mean, it could have been way different. But to get back to Carolina, I, I just thought that was that was so much of an overpay. And then on and then the funny part was is really why I wanted to name him the poem of the week is they took I got it up here. They took the edge rusher from Oregon, DJ Johnson, in the third round, mm-hmm. and every analyst on the on the panel said, uh, "I got this guy going undrafted." Um, and those are my favorite moments of the draft. It was very Alex Leatherwood in the first round Raiders moment. Like Mel mm-hmm. Kuyper's like Cleveland Furl. Yeah. It, it was just like, I, sorry, I didn't bring my day two binder up here on round one, but um, don't have anything to talk about. Yeah. I, I just, boy, um, they, maybe they would have been a better keeping Sam Darnold. I don't know. I just, it, I know they got a lot of picks from us in the Christian McCaffrey trade, but I just, I, I don't, I don't see it. I don't. Yeah, it seems. I like, would have been uncomfortable doing it if it if it was Trevor Lawrence. So right, Bryce Young, boy. Um, I mean, yeah. he'll. I think just looking at Bryce Young. So they do these tests now that have kind of replaced the Wonderlick before. Um, you know, especially for quarterbacks to like gauge your aptitude for the challenges that come with the NFL and logical thinking and quick processing and all this shit. He graded ninety nine out of a hundred. So like. Bryce Young has the brain, has the skills, has the processing. This guy is going to be a very good quarterback. The question is, can a guy who is, you know, he makes Kyler Murray look enormous. Can that type of guy Kyler succeed Murray, in the NFL? Kyler Murray, for as short as he is, is thick. Yeah. Kyler Murray weighs, what, 215, 220 pounds. They're saying Bryce Young, you know, when he really bulks up, can be 170, 175. Can that kind of guy you know, survive in the modern NFL where every defensive player is just a hulking mass of humanity. Like, can he it's survive that? It's that? like, it's like it's, can, can he legitimately see over the offensive line? <laughs> I mean, he's shorter just, than Russell Wilson. He's shorter than Kyler Murray. He's thinner than basically everybody who's played I mean, the position in the past I never decade. really thought about it, because mostly because Russell Wilson was really good up until this year. But, like, there were rumors this year, like, he moves in the pocket because he can't, like, they... Like people, in, it was coming out out of leaking out of Seattle that like some of the plays over the middle were just not can't even call them. Like just don't they don't even design plays over the middle because Russ can't see like over the mm-hmm. linemen through the defensive tackles through like linebackers. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, 
I never really thought about that. But when you really think about it, like if you're barely six feet or shorter Mm -hmm. and you have, I mean, stay in the division for years. You had Eric Armstead and Buckner there. Like they're six foot seven. And then you have linebackers like, like, Oh, no wonder he can't see that guy. Like on TV, we're like, did he not see that guy? He's right there. We're like, maybe he didn't. Maybe the most successful short QB of all time. Drew Brees always had that. He would drop back and have his head tilted back so that he could see over his own offensive line. And he only got away with it because one, he had, you know, elite talent around him. He had an elite offensive head coach, and the dude had unbelievable accuracy. He's an like outlier. All time. Yeah, he is an outlier. Kyler Murray, for all we shit on him, his athletic ability, I mean, he was the National High School Player of the Year twice in a row. If Kyler like, Murray was 6'4", he'd be the, he'd be the most uh, talented quarterback ever. Yes, incredible skills. His only problems are, you know, maybe motivation and inability to stay healthy. You look at you know Bryce Young you're like okay you need to be Drew Brees level of accuracy or Peyton Manning level of between the ears because your size is going to limit you massively and from all reports say great leader incredibly intelligent guy I just this only works for the Panthers if he stays healthy and considering some of the other picks got absolutely lambasted by the media basically the entire you know Tepper tenure and Frank Reich tenure there in Carolina is going to come down to does Bryce Young stay healthy? Is he a top eight, top six QB in the league three or four years from now? If that's not the case, they're not just the jack in the bum of the draft. They are absolutely hosed. (laughs) Just when has this ever worked? You know, Mm -hmm. like, cause if there's a quarterback worth trading up for, guess what? That team who's you're trying to get the pick from is just going to take that guy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Bears clearly were like, oh, no, Fields is better than him. I was like, that's a red flag because I think Fields exactly. isn't that good. <laughs> to, th- to think that Chicago, like everyone was like, oh, they're not going to move off Justin Fields. I'm like, uh, hell yeah, they will if they think someone's better than him. Yeah. Like it, if if another tra- – if Caleb Williams was in this it was in this draft, Justin Justin Fields is on the, is on the block. Yeah. Like this whole like – People would do do more like Kyler Murray, Josh Rosen things if there were if it, you know when if they had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I just because because again, whoever so and so, the Niners could have tried to trade up for the first pick that year, Trevor Lawrence. They could have offered five ones. I don't think Jacksonville's giving that up, right? Because he's he's worth it. But right. Bryce Young, it's like, oh yeah, whatever. Here, we're not afraid. Yeah, well, We'll, We're not, we'll not afraid of you drop down Bryce to Young. like two or three. We'll drop down to nine. Exactly. That's how yeah. much we don't give a shit. Yeah. Exactly. So that, that tells you a lot right there. So you're going with the uh, Jack like, the like, Bum of the Did Caroline week. ever be like, wow, um, <laughs> Chicago sure is like, they're pretty willing to give us his pick. Like, what Are they yeah. seeing something else? We're not. <laughs> maybe Carolina just thought Chicago's been kind of a dumpster fire for a while. Like, mm. maybe we think we're just smarter than them. I'm like, or this guy sucks. That's, that's strong. He's just, he's just <laughs> short. Yeah, we just got to see. I mean, we'll know probably two full seasons in whether that was a colossal Kyler mistake is, or whether Kyler they Kyler is hit. bigger, thicker, but comparing the prospects, I mean, like I said, you know, Bryce Young would have everything above Kyler Murray between the years and, and everything, but if you're looking at football talent, I mean, it's not even close. Kyler Murray's a way more talented player. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he honestly has got one of the prettiest, like, balls I've I've seen. 
And he's, you know, up there with Vic for most athletic guy ever to play the position. It's just Bryce Young would be like, I'm not an ass. Yeah. And I study. (laughs) He's not mandatory. uh, He doesn't have mandatory homework assignments from his team. So I think that's probably a good sign for Carolina. But we'll see how Frank Reich handles the young QB and whether he can stay healthy long enough to, you know, get them to the promised land after Tepper bought that team for all those billions of dollars really hasn't seen any success. So it all hinges on Bryce Young. Uh, the Panthers with their questionable 2023 draft, get the Jack and the bum of the week. Um, before we get to uh, the last couple segments of the pod where uh, my, you like that pick of the week and Joey's feels great, baby, uh, you know, wild take he feels best about currently. We're going to go with, some stuff outside of the the realm of the NFL. Uh, just really quickly, I was just watching uh, the Bruins play the Florida Panthers, and as our resident hockey expert, is this like a crisis for the NFL? This is the equivalent of the 96 Bulls losing in the first round. The greatest regular season hockey team ever in the history of the league gets knocked out in round one. It seems like the parody has just gotten out of hand. Like, what was that, dude? It, it's, uh, it's interesting because... It, I talk about it with my dad a lot. Like, I agree. Um, oddly, in the NBA, Milwaukee kind of got throttled by Miami. Right. Um, which you really like. It's funny how, especially the one or two seeds in the NBA, like every year, no matter who they are, they're like, oh, what do you think of the first round? I'm like, most of the time people are like, yeah, I got, you know, so-and-so like this year, like Boston. Like, I got Boston in three. Like, it's like, let's not even play the series. Like, it's just, yeah. and I'm like, okay, that's one extreme. And then the NHL is like, okay, yeah, like you said, the greatest team in the history of the league in terms of wins and points and and even before the series, before, like, it's like, okay, we have something. Even before the series, people are like, oh, it's going to be tough. I think um, <laughs> I'll go Boston in six, but six tough games. And it's like, so. How is that possible? Like, we did all this, like, and it's like, they can't get by like Florida who like barely got in. And it's oh, obviously they didn't. And it's just, it is, it's, it's because it's just, it does suck for the league. Cause you know, this year, finally, you know, Toronto breaks through. I mean, they were, they were there. Well, technically they were a minute away from having original six Boston Bruins and the Toronto, Toronto Maple Leafs. That's huge for the league. And instead we get Florida, we get Florida and Toronto. No one cares about Florida. Um, but yeah, even Colorado, like I I haven't looked now, but they're in Game Seven against Seattle, their first ever series. And like honestly, mm-hmm. Seattle should have already won the mm-hmm. series. Like I know Colorado's hurt, but it's a uh, it is. I think it is sort. Of, I, it is a problem because no matter who they are, whether their original six is popular as the Boston Bruins or they're the expansion, whoever. And the, the, this it happens matter. all the time, man. This happens. Well, yeah, I remember the, going the, the back record there. that they broke was Tampa's, and they got swept. Yeah, to Columbus. <laughs> Like imagine, imagine being the seventy-three win Warriors and then getting swept by the Pelicans in the first round. Yeah, absolute insanity. And this used to happen back in the day too. There was once, I think this was the 06 Stanley Cup Final, was an eight seed against a seven seed. You know, yeah, it's just it was like, Carolina and Edmonton, and I remember that yeah. because in the West, the Sharks were the fifth seed and beat the four uh, Nashville. That happened like two years in a row. The four or five was Nashville and the Sharks. The Sharks beat them twice, but this year they were the fifth seed and beat Nashville. And after the first round, they were the highest seed in the West. Five, the six, five, seven, six, seven, eight, eight one. Yeah. And then Edmonton took out the Sharks, and I forget the other two. But, like, I remember the top four, all, all, and it was like, oh, this is normal. The Stanley Cup playoffs where anything can happen. I'm like, okay. 
Did anyone really like March Madness when it was San Diego State and UConn? I mean, UConn's kind of a decent brand, but like, yeah, when it's like it's this like is all Florida cute. Atlantic. They're against, like, this is cute you know, until yeah. like, wow, we really do not have like Duke, North Carolina, Texas, who, whoever, like Kentucky. Like, wow, we're watching uh, William and Mary and uh, the School of the Deaf. Uh, this is cool. <laughs> um, no one's excited. And again, it, it should. I, I don't want to be one of those people like, oh, the league's better off when like. You know, the so-and-sos, like the Yankees, Red Sox are good every year. Like, no. But the point is, is if it was in baseball, say like, say the, I don't even know whoever, like, say the Miami Marlins won 120 games. Mm -hmm. And it's like you get to the first round and they get swept, which kind of happens more in baseball because, like, you just Mm -hmm. run into, like, a pitching staff. Like, it could be over quick. but. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got to be some sort of balance. I think the NBA is one way, although it seems like they kind of came back because the Warriors and Kings, I mean, you know, that was that was. I close. mean, you had a, a four-season stretch, 2015, or uh, yeah, 2015 to 2018, where it didn't matter where they receded. It was going to be Cavs-Warriors in the finals every single year, no matter what happened, and it's like that. And that was great. Perfect. That was great TV. It was awesome TV, and it's at one end of the spectrum, and then at the complete other end of the spectrum, you got the NHL, where you can literally have the equivalent of the 2016 Warriors, the 96 Bulls, get annihilated in the first round by just a scrub team, and it's like, what is a more compelling product? I don't know what to do. You know, extreme parody, where it basically is like, anything can happen, throw all the records, everything outside, you know, don't don't look at you know Boston, any Boston of that or Boston, the other way. Boston had a guy score sixty. The goalie might win the Vezina. Bergeron probably wins another Selkie. They might have a a Norris finalist in Charlie McAvoy. I mean, and out in, out in first round. Yeah, and Leafs fans right now have to be like, if this isn't the year, it's just never going to happen. Well, I, I, I mean, thought that too. I'm like, oh, they're going to be happy that they don't have to play Boston. Like, I don't know because you can't, you can't beat Tampa and then back it up with losing to Florida. That would be, that'd be like sending you right back worse. to square one. Yeah. And, um, but if I was a Leafs fan, um, it'd be a pretty sweet weekend mm-hmm. to finally win. And then you do you think how many times Boston Bruin fans have probably been on the Twittersphere and just sent so many mean messages to all these Leaf fans or whatever and like mm-hmm. oh the Leafs are like I've been waiting for this day mm-hmm. like you you blow a 3-1 lead to the Florida Panthers <laughs> and we yeah, move this... on to the second round oh pretty incredible looking at the hockey but I don't know what to do because then... I think you are right it's it's a problem I mean, I don't know how you legislate anything. It's just the nature of hockey, kind of like the nature of baseball, where it's always going to be massive variance. Like, there's not much that you can do. Like, basketball, with it being five-on-five, one player can affect the game so massively. But, you know, in hockey, you have, you know, four shifts. You have, you know, three different defense pairings. There's always going to be variables. Like, it's very hard to predict. It's always been like this. But, like, at a certain point, you go, hey, if the regular season matters this little, like maybe that's a problem. Like, well, the a team is, could, it, what makes know. it do, what makes it good though is it, it the regular season matters a lot in the sense like you have to you have to get there. Like right. the NBA is the opposite where it's like they got to play and all this stuff. It's like none of these games matter until like you really get down to it. The NHL is right. like day one. It's like oh my god, we only got one point today, lost in overtime. That's gonna that's gonna haunt us. Like mm-hmm. no one's resting. Like everyone gives it all during the regular season, which is a good thing. But then it mm-hmm. gets to the playoffs and it's like. 
wow, anything really can happen. Like, it, it really is just get in. And like, it's a great debate that, like, everybody's going to have going forward is, like, you know, as we continue to expand more and more teams making the playoffs in every one of the leagues, does the regular season product get continually diluted? Because, I mean, hockey is one extreme, basketball is the other. At some point, there will probably be expansion of the league, too, like more teams added, and then, of course, more playoff teams. Like, at some point, there has to be that discussion of, hey, let's look at the product as a whole and decide, do we limit the amount of playoff teams? Do we limit the amount of regular season games? Because it's just, like, too much freaking content. But biggest story, you know, right now going in sports is, this is the equivalent of the 07 Patriots getting throttled in round one. You know, it's just, like, absolute insanity that Boston is out uh, (laughs) losing game seven to Florida. Um, So in lieu of... My, you like that, you know, picks of the week. There's no games going on. And in lieu of Joey's feels great, baby, his wildest take he feels best about currently, we are going to combine those into one segment here because something happened last week that, you know, is the most titanic shift big in if sports. True. Yeah, it's the biggest big if true for me as a sports fan that I've experienced in my life. Um, the Oakland A's are my team. They are... My favorite team in sports, the Vikings are a very, very, very close second, but it's the A's. I have wanted my whole life nothing more than to see the A's win their 10th World Series. Like, every year I get my hopes up. I'm so excited. I learn everything about every guy on the 40-man roster. I watch every inning of the season. You know, they. I've written on my blog before about how what the A's do, what their players do is kind of the reason that I still believe in sports as I get older and I've not gotten jaded and said, oh, I'm not watching it anymore. Because you'll see these groups of guys who they're playing in a dilapidated, crappy facility, no budget, you know, ragtag group of guys, and they just come together for a common goal. And lo and behold, 2018, 2019, 2020, they won 97 games per season. Like, I love stories like that. I love the Oakland A's. I love what it means to be, you know, an East Bay blue-collar team. And they've been doing it continually since, like, the late 90s, since I've been a fan. So this entire Billy Bean era, the Moneyball era, all these scrappy great players that have, you know, gotten us to, you know, seasons where we're winning 90 or 100 games. It's been what sustained me as a sports fan for all this time. And that fuckface, John Fisher, and his little crony, Dave Cavill, are trying to take my team out of Oakland, out of the East Bay, and move them to Las Vegas. They announced that they are entering a binding agreement not to build a stadium, but to buy land across um, I-15, across the freeway there from where T-Mobile Arena is now and just a little bit north of Allegiant Stadium. Uh, So quick access to the strip over the pedestrian bridge there. That's their plan. Retractable roof, 30 to 35,000 seat stadium getting built there. My, you like that pick of the week, not so fast, my friend. (laughs) I do not think that the A's are leaving. Really? I'm going out on a limb here because I'm kind of jinxing myself because if I could have anything in sports, it would be the A's staying in Oakland and winning a title in Oakland. Anything. A Vikings Super Bowl would be amazing. The Sharks winning the Cup is great. But the A's remaining in Oakland and winning a title in Oakland would mean more to me than anything as a sports fan. And I still think it's possible. I think Tim Kawakami from The Athletic made this point better than anybody. If you think that this team of John Fisher and and Dave Cavill is competent enough to get this deal done, given all the roadblocks that exist, 
in Las Vegas right now with kind of the public sentiment against all the taxes that came with funding the Raiders stadium, it's a losing bet. I think people have kind of wised up to this crying poor billionaire act from John Fisher. I feel like this move, which by all accounts was announced in incredible haste, like just like they needed to rush it because they have this January 2024 deadline to get a stadium deal or MLB pulls the plug on the revenue sharing and the A's become a big market team and they don't get any revenue sharing. They actually pay into it. They announce this in a hurry because they're like, if we announce this now, we have whatever it ends up being, nine and a half months until that deadline to get a binding agreement done with the state of Nevada. I do not believe Dave Cavill can get that job done. He has failed in everything to this point. He was going to move the team to the Laney College site, which was shot down immediately. They they, they launched this huge website for this is what the stadium's going to look like. This is where it's going to be located. Here are the shops and restaurants and hotels that are all going to be around it. Gets shot down at the very first hurdle. So then he pivots. He goes to, you know, the Oakland waterfront, Jack London Square. Instead of building a like $1.5 billion stadium on the water, the only way they would come to an agreement with Oakland is if they did a $12 billion complete rebuilding of Howard Terminal, Jack London Square, the entirety of that West Oakland waterfront, which is the biggest construction project anybody's overtaken in the Bay Area in forever. They only wanted that because Fisher wanted to own all that real estate. He had no interest in the ballpark, just like he has no interest in the baseball team. He just wants the real estate to build income properties so that he and his stupid ass family can stay rich forever, whatever. He's a total scrub. My point is if you're the city of Las Vegas and you have two choices, number one, get into bed with John Fisher, the worst owner in sports and give him $500 million of taxpayer money or two say, Hey, that's Oakland's problem. Let them figure it out. We want an expansion team. I think you go with the latter. Because it'll be a better owner. It'll be someone who will come in and wants to start fresh. It, by the laws of physics, has to be a better owner than Fisher. So that's my pick of the week. There's a lot of different things conspiring there. I could go on for forever, but what are your thoughts on that before I give you a couple more points? It makes sense. Um, it makes a lot of sense from Vegas's standpoint, especially the expansion team part. But my thing is, even if it does fall through, which you made a lot of sensible arguments saying it won't, what makes it still, what makes it get done in Oakland? I think facing that January deadline to, you know, get a stadium it, it does, deal. Do you think Manfred can strong arm Oakland? I don't think Manfred can strong arm Oakland. I think Joe Lacob can strong arm John Fisher and say, you spent $180 million to buy this team in 2005. I will give you $1.2 or $1.5 billion for this team now. You can multiply your investment by like 8x and get out with your one little shred of dignity left. He has a standing offer to buy the team. And I think he would, on does day he? one, he does. Oh. And yeah, he made he tried to bid on the team in 2005 and failed. And apparently over COVID 2020, 2021, he reached out to Fisher and said, I have a standing offer to buy the team. Nobody knows what the number is, but it's assumed to be between like 1.2 and 1.5 billion. And he has said in interviews, if he were to acquire the team, that $300 million gap between Oakland and um, the A's, he would just, you know, he can piss away $300 million like it's nothing. And he could bridge that gap and get the, you know, Jack London Square Oakland waterfront ballpark built in a jiffy. So 
I feel like that's a possibility. The other couple points I wanted to bring up as to why I think, you know, the A's dream in Oakland isn't over yet and that Vegas is still a very long shot possibility is twofold. Number one, 21 of the 29 non-A's teams have to vote to allow this for this to pass. There's already been four teams who according to all counts, will say no because they don't want the Giants to have the entirety of Northern California and they also don't want a team moving very close to their area. Arizona, the Dodgers, the Angels, and the Padres. The They don't want another team moving to their you know southwest of the United States area and trying to take some of their market share. They also don't want the Giants to basically have all that area from you know the southern part of the Bay Area all the way up to you know, Seattle. They don't want them to dominate all that area. So they're figuring that's already four teams who are definitely going to vote against it. The other thing is, is uh, Fisher and Manfred have come to an agreement where it's like, okay, typically you have to pay $2 billion to move your team as a fee for uprooting a team out of their fan base and blowing up the league. You have to pay $2 billion. The only reason that the Expos didn't have to was the team went into administration. They went bankrupt, and the league uh, bought the team and then found, uh, the I believe it's the Lerner family, to buy it and move it to Washington to just kind of save the franchise. In this situation, for whatever reason, probably because Manfred knows he's between a rock and a hard place here, he has offered to waive that $2 billion fee. I don't know if you get owners to vote hey, let's just forego receiving $2 billion to let this guy Fisher move his team. I I think they want two new expansion teams. I think they want the A's to stay in Oakland. They want an expansion team in Las Vegas and an expansion team in Nashville. That's their goal. I think that's what they want. And I think this announcing uh, the A's moving to Vegas by Cavill and Fisher that was premature is entirely designed to either you know work out and finally get their situation resolved or to pump up the value of the team as a last-ditch effort before they sell. So that's my thoughts on the situation from 30,000 feet. I really hope that's the case. It's not bad. Like it, it, I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. Um, There's just so many things that have to go right, and these guys are incompetent. I just I don't, I don't see it. It, no, I mean, it, it, it absolutely makes sense, but I just, I don't know. It, like, if they did, I mean, on it, the part that I just even struggle with, just because this is where kind of where I'm, I, I, I'm at, because if this, ha- like, I mean, if this happened, like, if this happened maybe 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. like, right after, you know, that Donaldson Cespedes era, or like during it, I'd be like, I, I mean, I'd be devastated. Like when mm-hmm. I was a, you know, big Ace fan. I'm, I'm not anymore for, you know, just a few reasons. I just sport in general. But the bigger one is like, yeah, the A's just, they it, just, it's not even that they sell the players because I, just like you, like I understand sports and money and contract like stuff. Like I, I, I understood why they got rid of all these players. I wasn't like, oh my god, why can't we keep these guys? I'm like. Owner doesn't want to pay like GM's got to get value. Like I, you know, I understood it. Like I'm sure yeah. you're not happy about it, but you understand, you understand the idea of Moneyball. Mm-hmm. but it's more of just like, you keep talking about not being here all the time. Like mm-hmm. people are going to believe it. And I, I just like, that's kind of how I felt. Like you just, 
you keep talking about how you're sleeping with Vegas. Like, you know, Cavill's like, oh, look, taking in the Vegas Knights playoff game. Mm. Or, like, it's like, okay, it it, it, it 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 takes off that maybe it didn't for you because you were, um, like, the biggest of big fans. But, like, it just takes off that, like, It's just like the kind of like the, just the the believing in the make believe because like this all this sports stuff is just right. make believe shit. Like yes. it really it has no value on life at all. This, that's the mm. saddest that's the saddest thing for people like you and me to relate to because it is <laughs> it is life and death for the people that do fund everything, which is yeah. aka the fans. It is real. Like you know, it's like Disney. You know, like how does Disney make so much money? It's not the kids. It's the it's the 40 year old parents who are Disney adults who take their kids there and pay mm-hmm. all that money. And it's like, and it's like, you know, they're, they're, they're like, they believe in the little mermaid, you know, like, yeah. like that's a, like Superman is a real person. Like, that's why right. people talk about like, people are like, you know, just the way superhero movies are now you read them about them. They're old. They're always talking about like casting and like, you know, getting representation in like minorities, or whatever. And I'm like, you guys aren't really understanding the point. If I was one of them, like a Disney adult person, like really believe in this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like if Superman was a white guy, like don't you dare cast him as like anything else because people believe that that is Superman. Like <laughs> create another, if you, if you want, if you want more, like you want black people, Asian people, whatever, like there are those type of superheroes, like put them in a movie. <laughs> like, like you change, like right now it's like, what it is little mermaid. I think they made it like yeah. a, People are like, no, Little Mermaid was this. Like, that's real. That's a real person. And I'm yeah. like, with with like sports, it's like the A's. Like, no, that's the Oakland A's. Like, yeah. don't you dare. And it's like, it, it takes off that like, oh shit. Like, no, this is like the A's could just move. Yeah. And it's like, shit. Someone made up a story about a fish. Like, yeah. it's not. Like, yeah. It's like, <laughs> uh, like, you know, oh, winning the World Series, like. You know, it, it, it mattered a lot to me, but like you just said, you can move my team or like, you know, like all this stuff. It's right. like, it just, for me, it just, it kind of took off like, oh, it's not like this big giant, like staple in my life because right. you guys are making it seem like it, it like, this is all just constructed, which it is like, it is, it absolutely is just like these yeah. movies and stuff. But yeah. like the reason why it has, it, it is a billion dollar business in whether you talk about Disney or sports, like it's because people really believe this like life or death and <laughs> and it's not it's not healthy you know, we, for we, that's for sure but <laughs> but like the point is like with the a's it's like you keep you keep telling me that this isn't like important that's what you're, just, you're telling me it's it's just eh. right and it's like complete side note but if they did when, stay when you're like, making that point what they do is my dad and brother i got them tickets for opening day they are so out on Oakland and so trying to like actively make sure few people go to the game. There was like no staff there at the game. So there's like 25,000 people on opening night. All the other games have like 3,000, 4,000 people. 25,000 people there on opening night. They had enough staff in terms of like food and stewards and whatever for like, you know, if 1,500 people went to the game. They purposely made it so that, like, if it's the fourth inning and, oh, I want to go get a beer and a hot dog, it'd be like an hour and a half wait and the game would be over by the time you get your food. Like, they have spent the past season and a half just being like, go away. We don't want you. It can't work at this stadium. We hate you. And, I mean, why does Las Vegas want to get into bed with someone like that? It's ridiculous. Yeah, I. I, but I I, I watched something on the news that the the new mayor – 
Shang Tao, she she was like, she basically said like, "Don't call me back." A's. She did. Like, and I'm like, and but so what that, I that's have why heard... I asked like, what what still what makes it get done in Oakland? Like, do you see them being like the San Jose A's? It, it cannot work in Oakland with Fisher as the owner, the because he just burned that bridge. Apparently, so you're saying Shang would work with a a new agent, a new uh, a, a new agent who represents the A's or whatever. Okay. Absolutely, a hundred percent. And I, I think what happened was, uh, according to Casey Pratt, who does like all the reporting on this situation, him and Brody Brazil are on top. Of, I don't usually like Brody, but he's on top. I of was it like, A's, he's going to Vegas. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, okay, yeah. take him. <laughs> But according to those two guys, there were um, intermediary sessions planned for uh, whatever this ended up being. So two weeks ago, about two weeks ago, between the A's and the city of Oakland. So it would be Fisher and Cavill and then the city council and the mayor, Sheng Tao, in these meetings with an arbiter in there to kind of just bring them together to where they can come to a deal. Apparently, they had made significant progress and were about to get the deal done when Cavill pulled negotiations off the table, announced the situation with Vegas. And they're saying that I think his intention was to put the absolute maximum pressure on the city to then capitulate and be like, okay, we get it. Here's your deal and get it across the line. It spectacularly backfired. The mayor basically said, I won't talk to Cavill. I need Fisher to call me. Fisher called her and she said, offer off the table. This is over. And at that point, that's when it all went off to the races. So I think there's only two ways this ends. Number one, the team moves to Vegas. Fisher gets his hand out. He gets what he wants. And, you know, they may move as early as next year and play in the minor league ballpark there. Very difficult situation for me to imagine. I would no longer be a fan of the team. I was going to ask, I was gonna ask like, we we're talking about logistics, but, like, yeah, uh, just like, yeah, like, what, what I mean, it, I'm not as big a fan anymore, and I certainly never probably was as big a fan as you at any point. But just, it's just, I just think of it happening to the Sharks. It's just, it's just sad as shit. It just is, and like there's it two just, scenarios. It, number uh, one, they move to Vegas, and Fisher's the owner. Number two, he sells the team, and the new owner comes in, and likely would rather stay in Oakland than move to Vegas, given the Bay Area is the fourth biggest media market in the country. Vegas is fortieth. I think. Oakland real estate on the waterfront is going to be a hell of a lot more than in the desert, like what that'll be worth long-term. So those two scenarios, scenario number two, I remain an A's fan. I'm optimistic. We finally get our new stadium, new great era of A's baseball, and I can take my kids someday to A's games, and maybe we win the World Series in Oakland. Everything's hunky-dory. If Fisher gets his wish, moves the team to Las Vegas, they start playing there in 2027 at their new retractable roof stadium, I am out. I no longer watch Major League Baseball. It's over for me. So Rob you'd, Manfred you'd, and you would give up the sport too. I would give up the sport altogether because I can't just like watch and root against the Giants and root against teams that I dislike, like the Angels or whoever. Like I would, that would be it for me. I would be out on the sport because Rob Manfred enabled all of it. MLB would have ripped the A's out of Oakland. I'm out, but I still have a lot of hope that a situation can can come to a head there and Fisher has no choice but to sell the team if Vegas gives him the boot. So um, we'll see where it goes, but obviously the toughest of tough times with the A's being the worst team in the league uh, on the field and then the worst possible situation off it. So Did you did you watch? I wanted to, but I forgot. Um, did you watch whatever that first broadcast was after they announced it? Because I think they announced it. Yeah. The, it was a day game 
on a Wednesday, mm-hmm. and then Wednesday night it comes out, and then they yeah. had an off day Thursday, and then their first game was like on the road Friday At night. Texas, yeah. Did you watch that? I would be like, "Welcome to Lee Glenn Kuyper. Welcome to uh, Oakland A's baseball." And I just the crazy like, what the thing hell was, is going was on? Kuyper was out because he had already taken that three game homestand off. So it's this new guy Dosco announcing, and I was like, "This feels like a minor league broadcast." Like, oh boy, this is not good. Like, <laughs> the thing that was crazy was their first home game was um, Friday against uh, the Reds, and oh yeah, so. Yeah, they post all the the A's hit a couple homers, the Reds hit a couple homers, you know, routine game. The A's lost, of course, because they suck this year. But MLB.com posted the highlights, and on every one of the home runs, they cropped out all the signs that said liar or sell the team. Um, and A's fans caught on to it, posted it on Twitter. Yeah, what They're were like, like the right field bleachers like? Yeah, right field bleachers, every person wore a shirt that said sell, like a Kelly yeah. Green shirt that said sell, and then all the signs that normally say like, Laser Ramon yeah. or keep pounding or whatever their <laughs> motto is for that season. They all said liar, sell the team, fire Cavill, all this stuff, whatever. But on all the highlights, obviously they couldn't block it on the broadcast, but all the highlights that they posted on YouTube and on the MLB.com site, it'll show the ball going over the fence. And for whatever reason, the camera pans aggressively to just show the ball and not where it lands so that they can block it out. Super low rent, bad look from MLB, like total trash. Wow. Could not believe when that came out. Like, who would do that? Like, the NFL would not do that if there were, like... Like, they the draft last week, everybody boos Goodell for everything. He could come out and be like, I just saved puppies from execution. They'd be like, fuck you, Goodell. And he just takes it. He's like, yes, give me another $100 million this year as part of my compensation package. He doesn't give a shit. But Fisher and, you know, Manfred are so low rent, they'll sink to whatever depths they have to to try to keep this charade alive. <laughs> Just uh, despicable. Wild. But no, I, right. I mean, I thought I was like, they're gone. They're gone. <laughs> but no, you made you made a compelling case for why they might not I, have a choice to stay. Yeah. Because how, how, how much money are the, the Vegas and like Nevada taxpayers going to shell out for all these teams? Yeah, they hate the Raiders deal. I mean, basically now. Because they're going to complete... get an NBA team too. They're yeah. going to expand to Vegas too. Yeah, they, they deserve expansion teams out there in Vegas, not already established teams, I think. And by the way, Mark Davis, who usually I dislike, he came out when this whole situation happened and said, hey, I'd still be in Oakland if it wasn't for John Fisher and Dave Cavill, who basically I wanted to knock down the Coliseum and build another Raider stadium there and stay in Oakland, and they blocked me, and I had no choice but to leave. It was like, that's got to hurt for Raider fans to hear, but like, if you're such a shit-ass owner that Mark Davis goes, you guys suck, that should cause you to look in the mirror, man. Like, rough, rough times uh, for the A's, but I'm hoping good times are ahead. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, let's close the pod. We've run a little long here. I just, you know, something that happened this week outside of sports. You were telling me when we were golfing last week when I was up in the Bay uh, visiting my folks and doing some work, you were telling me you had some struggles with your neighbor as a new homeowner what what happened at that with that situation yeah um hadn't met him lived lived here since uh june but hadn't met him yet and uh um, what happened was is me and kayla went to a doctor's appointment for the baby and then went to dinner and and uh i got a ring doorbell notification and uh and it looked like my neighbor. I'm like, oh, that's our neighbor. Like, what's going on? And, of course, like, everything bad runs through our head. Like, oh, my God, our house is burning down. Like, 
<laughs> we left we left like the stove on or something, even though we don't use the stove or something. And I don't know. We just thought like, oh, this is not good. But then we're like, okay, maybe he just like needs some cheese or something. I don't know. Maybe he's <laughs> a bar. I don't know. So we get home and as soon as we get to like near the driveway, we're like, okay, our house is not burned down. Um, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go walk over there and knock on his door, see what see what's going on. And but before I stopped at their mailbox. And he typed up a letter and then and then signed it by hand, but it basically said, um, "Your excessive watering of your lawn and plants is killing my plants on the other side." He's like, um, "Could you please like not water as much?" And I'm like, "At first, I'm, at first, I'm like, oh, this guy sucks ass. Like, <laughs> what a dick. I've only been watering my my stuff for like maybe two weeks because I hadn't watered it in like months because it." Yeah. rain so much here but i'm like so concerned about the hoa we keep getting newsletters from the hoa like to everybody not like us specifically but they send one out to everyone here like they're like okay they're like summer's coming up like don't you dare have any dead grass out there we'll find the hell out of you <laughs> and i'm like oh shit so i turn it on right and i still turn it on less than what we did last year and like in the summer i get it's not the summer yet but still i'm like okay but i don't have any grass and of course i didn't think water was like i'm not like poisoning my lawn it's like it's water mm-hmm. like there, i didn't believe in excess water like i just thought <laughs> okay like we just drink more water that's good um so i go to his i go to his door knock on his door and everything and then talk to him and he was he was super nice it was cool and but he's like yeah you're killing my plants i'm like oh wow i did you tell me and he's like he's like well i walked over the last couple of days but you weren't home i'm like yeah it was and Never saw you on the ring doorbell, but whatever. I'm not calling you a liar, but something's not adding up. And uh, <laughs> long story short, yeah, Friday I went out there. I'm like, let me see what the hell is going on with these sprinklers. So I basically had them on for only like one time, like like five minutes the whole week. So I'm like, mm-hmm. not a problem. I go out there, and I got like a Wi-Fi sprinkler stuff, so it's in zones. I check the first one. Okay, we're good. The second one, we're good. I turn on the third one. And I thought it might be the one that could be the problem. And like, as soon as you turn it on, just floods, like just like just leaks. It doesn't even like someone when they when they break, they shoot straight up. This one just didn't even have a top or anything. It just like, and it just bubbled like rose. I'm like, oh yeah, this is what he's talking about. This is this was my bad. This was this was my fault. Because um, I was like, yeah, wow, shit, running this ten minutes. Oh my god. Um, yeah, because I run it at 5 a.m., so it's, like, not hot or anything. It just sits mm. there, just sitting water, and it must, like, go through the cracks, like, in the fence and stuff. I'm like, okay, sorry, Tom. Yeah, this is me. <laughs> um, so they've been off ever since, and then I'm going to start watering tomorrow, but I'm going to water with a hose, not with sprinklers. So, um, Major yeah, my am bad. I the asshole moment. Yeah, I was the hurts. ass. <laughs> it's, just, it's just wild. I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean sprinklers? Like, what the hell? And then it's like, oh shit, it does. Like, I mean, um, we love our house. Like, I mean, it's it's really cool. But like that stuff, like, I'm not used to it. It's like, oh shit, right. like sprinklers. Like, oh, this tree. Like, your the leaves are going into their yard. Shit. It's like mm-hmm. it's like it's just like makes me want to live on ten acres and have no neighbors and be like, okay, I don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, the pitfalls of being a new homeowner and having but it's to cool to meet him. It's cool to like meet him, I guess. And he was like, "Oh, if I have any, if you guys need a tool, like I got it. Like I'm your guy." <laughs> and I'm like, I hope not. Like I hope I don't have to come over here because, uh, I don't know. Don't want to like 
be pissing you off for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. Strange situation. You were telling me about that, and then on Friday you texted me. You're like, yeah, I have a busted sprinkler head. It was all my fault. I'm like, oh, shit. You got to go over there and be like, whoopsie, sorry. Yeah, I saw him outside um, and uh, went over there and just said, yeah, yeah, I found it. found the problem, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, I swear to God, though, Tom, you do something that pisses me off, I will flood your backyard. <laughs> no, I well, won't. No, is. I won't, because the HOA will be like, ha-ha, you're out of here. There's life in suburbia, having to deal with the HOA, having to deal with the nosy neighbor, but Joey's pushing Oh, we found out, though, like, people, like, you know, you see in our, if you remember, you see in our house, there's, there's just a street behind us, but on mm. the other side, they're building, like, new ho- homes again. I'm like, oh, sick, like, that'll be, like, construction noise, so, hell yeah. <laughs> Um, As the Bay Area expands further and further east, it's just never going to end. At least they're actually building new houses. That seems to be a problem in a lot of California. They're just not building, and the prices they keep just building go up vertical. Yeah, they're like, That's oh, they here's like, here's like ten, here's like a million new homes. They're like, oh, cool, like nice. Like, no, they're like six hundred square feet apartments. We just keep building because <laughs> we got nowhere to put people, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. Well, there. So obviously, we strayed a little bit from the NFL draft. You know, first forty-five, fifty minutes was all NFL, and then we had to get our 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 licks in for what happened with the A's uh, and the whole announcement about Vegas. But uh, good pod, buddy. Good uh, catching up with you, and uh, glad to have uh, you know brought another pod to our great listeners uh, here in the off season. Uh, coming up next will be, I think, in probably late July and then throughout August. We'll do a weekly pod previewing each of the divisions uh, as we head into the regular season and get started again. So uh, we'll definitely at that time, uh, you know, reconnect with all our loyal listeners and give get them primed and ready for when the games actually start. Hopefully by then we know a little bit more about what we have with the uh, 2023 draft class. But Uh, Thanks for listening to our 2023 NFL Draft recap here on the You Like That Feels Great Baby podcast. And uh, we'll see you as we get uh, towards training camp here in July to uh, preview the 2023 season. Thanks for listening.